vehicle. Uh, before we pulled out of our driveway, one of, the, one of the first things that our family did every single time before we even put the, the car uh, in drive is as a family, we would uh, pray together in the vehicle asking for God's protection upon our travel. I don't know if that's something you, you did as a family or do as a family when you travel or maybe every time you go to work in the morning, uh, you pray and you ask for God's protection uh, before you travel, asking him to watch over us. Uh, protection, request for protection is a common request, I think, among uh, human beings today, especially when we go to the Lord in prayer. This psalm, our psalm, is the prayer of one who is on a specific journey. Um, let me just kind of give you the backdrop of this particular psalm and actually several others that, that you will read uh, in psalm, especially the later part of psalms. This particular psalm is, the, is a prayer of one who is on a specific journey. The Jews would oftentimes make uh, pilgrimages, uh, trips, annual trips uh, to Jerusalem to celebrate designated festivals or holidays. Uh, there were very specific times that many would travel to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the, the location of the temple. Uh, that's where sacrifices were offered. That's where people would gather to worship. Uh, it was really the, the centerpiece of Jewish worship was in Jerusalem. And so there were very special seasons of the year. Passover, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the, the Feast of Weeks. There were certain celebrations that would lead to people leaving their city, their town, and making the trip to Jerusalem for that special holiday. It was uh, the place, uh, Jerusalem was the centerpiece of Jewish worship. It's where the temple was. It's where God's presence dwelled. And so it was a very special time when they would make these trips to Jerusalem. Sometimes uh, a traveler's journey would be a bit difficult for various reasons. It depends on where they would come from. But if they had to make a, a longer trip, sometimes they would run into rough terrain um, if you've been to Israel or if you've been uh, even here within the United States, you know if you go just a little bit south, it gets a little bit hillier. Um, you get into the mountains, you know that the terrain can become a little bit more difficult and challenging. Depending on how far they had to travel, weather would be a concern, distance would be a concern, and even outside of that, external threats, um, whether it be their enemies that they had to consider while traveling or even um, wild animals that would be a concern. But Psalm 121 is referred to as a psalm of ascent. Um, Jerusalem, if you know anything about the terrain or the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem actually sits uh, on top of a hill, and it's surrounded by a, a valley, the Kidron Valley. And so ascending the hill um, was necessary to reach the city limits. You had to ascend up the hill in order to get inside the city of Jerusalem. Back in 2008, I had the chance to spend six weeks in Israel. Uh, we spent several days in Jerusalem. I remember making the trip, um, going down the hill and also going back up the hill. And, and so every single time you would make a trip to the city of Jerusalem, didn't matter where you came from, there would always be an ascent. There would always be a, a moment where you had to um, make your way up the hill to get inside the city limits. There are 15 psalms of ascent that would oftentimes be sung by those who were traveling or making their way to Jerusalem. It would not be uncommon for Jewish people that were making their way to, to the city of Jerusalem for one of these festivals to, to begin to sing or to begin to recite what are referred to as the psalms of ascent. And Psalm 121 was one of those that would oftentimes be uh, recited or sung by those that were making the journey no matter how difficult that journey was to the city 
of Jerusalem. This particular psalm, as it was recited, as it was sung, and even as we read it today, was very particular in bringing back memories, especially for the Jewish people, of God's protection of Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. If you recall the story of God's people in Exodus, um, they were wandering in the wilderness and they would wander for 40 years. And there were a lot of uh, external threats that they would have to encounter while wandering for that period of time. But if you remember, it was when they were in the wilderness that God protected them. Remember a pillar of cloud by day um, and fire by night? Uh, they were protected, they were hemmed in, they were watched over by the presence of God. So as they would recite the song or sing it, it would remind them of the protection that God offered Israel while they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. As it was sung by the traveler, it would remind them that on their own journey, their journey to Jerusalem to celebrate a, uh, the Passover festival or the Feast of Weeks or whatever reason they were making a trip to Jerusalem or any other location, every time that they would recite this psalm, it was a reminder to them that God was their helper and he was their protector. There's a beautiful thing uh, about scripture and, and I think sometimes uh, we, we kind of downplay it, but, but I think especially with the Psalms, as we read through the Psalms, and, and I would encourage you and even challenge you, um, the Psalms are, are beautiful passages of Scripture to, to memorize, because there are probably several moments in our own lives where we need God's protection, where we need Him to serve as our helper, and what better way to recall uh, who God is than reciting and memorizing these scriptures. This particular psalm has incredible relevance, I believe, for everyone who is on a journey or on a trip today. Uh, let me just capture the journey that all of us are on. Obviously, we aren't making a pilgrimage. I don't think anyone uh, in this room is making a pilgrimage or a trip to Jerusalem. Uh, you're making a trip to Congo, so you might be the closest this morning. But, but we are all called to faithfully pursue Christ. We are on a spiritual journey. What does Paul say in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6? He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, listen to how he describes, now that you've accepted him, you must continue to follow him. So, so you and I are on a spiritual journey where we are called after we receive Christ. It's not the end. That's not, the, uh, that's not all there is. We are called to continue to faithfully and obediently follow him in our life. And so we are on this spiritual journey where we are called to follow and pursue Christ. Number two, this journey, I think all of us in this room can attest to this, the journey that you and I are on, it has its share of trials and obstacles. Um, yes and amen, I think may be appropriate in that, in that particular moment, because I think all of us have probably encountered moments where we've experienced trials or obstacles or journey or, or difficulties on this journey that we're on. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed through suffering. Our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The journey that you and I are on, it has its share of trials, difficulties, and obstacles. Just because we accept Christ doesn't mean that those trials and difficulties go away. I think if, if we are students of Scripture, if we read Scripture, it's very clear for Paul, for the disciples, for any follower of Jesus Christ, though the 
Though they accepted Christ, so they faithfully followed him, the, the difficulties didn't necessarily disappear, but all of a sudden they had a protector, they had a helper, they had the presence of God with him in the midst of this trial. Number three, this journey far outweighs and exceeds all other experiences in life. There's no greater journey, no greater trip, no greater experience than being in a walking relationship with Jesus. It far exceeds and outweighs anything and everything else that we could ever experience. Look at what uh, the scripture says. Um, Again, Paul says in Romans 8.18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Paul recognized that, yes, there would be difficulties, there would be obstacles, there would be challenges on the journey that he was on, but it did not even compare, not even a small little bit, to the glory that would be revealed to him when he saw Christ face to face. This journey far outweighs and exceeds all other experiences, both good and bad. Number four, this journey And this is what I want us to focus on this morning. This journey is best traveled when we rely on the presence of our faithful shepherd. You and I, we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are on a journey. We are walking with Christ. We are pursuing him. We are hopefully becoming more and more like him, being transformed from the inside out. And the best way that this journey can be walked out, really the only way this journey can faithfully be walked out is depending upon the presence of our faithful shepherd. There's a lot of Psalms I could have focused on this morning. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. There's a lot of places we could have looked at this morning, but Psalm 121 This psalm portrays two vital aspects about our faithful shepherd's character that must be embraced if you and I are going to navigate successfully this journey that we are on. Two things I want to focus on this morning, and I'll be brief. Number one, we get this from the psalm, God is the source of our help. God is the source of our help. Look at Psalm 121, look at verse 1 and 2. Psalmist says, I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let me just kind of unpack this for you this morning. First of all, it is human nature to search for help on any journey. Uh, Maybe you've been traveling before and you don't want to admit it, but you stopped and you had to ask for directions. Um, Anybody want to admit that they had to stop and ask for directions before? Okay, there's a few honest people in the room today. Good, good. But it it is human nature to request help on any journey that we're on. Uh, Just a few weeks ago or last month, uh, we had our, our, our youth escape room night. Uh, we had a we kind of created our own escape room in the room over here, and and uh, we had everything set up and ready to go. Part of this uh, part of this evening, there were about I think three cheat cards that you had. You were allowed to turn in a cheat card requesting help to figure out the clues so that they could escape. And um, I know that it was a little bit of a challenge. Number one, they had to access uh, a computer to access specific codes, and I failed to recognize the fact that the uh, password on the computer had been changed. So for about a half an hour, 30 minutes of their hour, they spent their time trying to just even get into the computer because I gave them the wrong code. But, but they finally, finally, they stopped and asked for help. It is part of our human nature to search for help on any journey that we're on. 
The psalmist here was considering his options. I want you to put yourself in his shoes now this morning. He's making this trip to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to celebrate uh, one of the great festivals of, of the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion. He's on his way, and on, his, on this trip, he begins to look around and consider his options. It says that he looked up to the mountains, and he asked the question, does my help come from there? Mountains and high places were oftentimes associated with other deities, especially in the ancient Near Eastern culture. It was sometimes considered the home of, of other gods. And so as the psalmist is traveling to the city of Jerusalem, he looks up to the mountains asking the question, where does my help come from? In this particular culture, some would look to this mountain or this God or, or this mountain and this God over here. And so the psalmist is posing the question as he, as he looks upon the landscape of God's creation, as he looks upon the mountains and as he's making his way to the city of God, Jerusalem, he makes or he poses the question, where, where does my help come from? A pluralistic society, there would be strong temptation to look to other places for help. Um, we see this in Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Remember, Moses was at the top of the mountain. He was receiving the law from God. And while Moses was receiving the law, the people became impatient down at the bottom of the mountain. And remember, what did they do? They decided to kind of give up on Moses and God. They were impatient. They were tired of waiting. They went to Aaron. Aaron, can you form or create some gods for us to help continue to deliver us? They were looking for help in other places besides Yahweh. Same temptation exists for Christians today. We look for help in everything under the sun except God. I think sometimes we, we get ourselves in positions where we think if we can get that race, if we can get that promotion, if we are in the right relationship, if, if we can get a handle on these behaviors in our life or maybe the right political solution, we start looking in all of these other worldly things for help, but every single time in the end, Many have given up on the journey or returned to their old ways because they didn't re receive help they needed. So what is the psalmist's solution? He looks up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? The psalmist is saying to us today is that God's help supersedes anything that the world has to offer. God's help is so much better, so much greater, so much stronger than anything that the world has to offer. There's no political solution or uh, there's no relationship, there's no behavior, there's no um, raise or promotion that will truly give us the help that we need. God is the source of our help. And the psalmist, as he looked at the mountains, there's this God, there's this God, there's this mountain here. Where does my help come from? He recognized that his help came from the Lord. Why is this better? Because the Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. This mountain over here, guess what? God made that mountain. This mountain over here, God formed it together when he created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, every mountain and every aspect of creation, God is superior over. He created the mountains, giving him superiority over everything. Psalm 89, verse 12, you created north and south, Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon. Praise your name. Psalm 90, verse 2, before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. God is superior. He is sovereign. He is ruling and reigning from his throne today. So therefore, his help supersedes anything and everything that the world can offer. This makes him trustworthy to look out for the traveler and the pilgrim 
And this makes him our only source of true help. I know that there may be a journey that you're on, a trip that you're on, or, or, or maybe you're in a place in your relationship with God this morning. I'm here to remind you and encourage you that our help comes from him and him alone. Wherever you are with Christ, whether you're searching, whether you're resting in that relationship, maybe you're struggling, or maybe you're pursuing him with your whole heart and your whole life, know this morning that your only means of help is the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. God is our source of help. Number two, God is the guardian of our lives. Look at the Psalm 121, look at verse three. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. He stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forever. Our guardian This is probably my favorite point. Our guardian is always alert. Um, How many of you, when traveling in a car, um, you prefer that those that maybe are in the car, if you're not great with directions and maybe somebody else is kind of guiding the way, it's a little bit helpful if they're awake, right? Um, if, if, if they're asleep in the car and they're the one giving you directions, or let's just say, for example, if, if Google Maps just decides to shut down on us, um, a lot of us would be in a world of hurt. Our, but our guardian, Jesus Christ, he is always alert. He never sleeps. And this is very unique, especially coming from this particular psalm, because again, keep in mind, the psalmist is living in an era and a time when there are many gods. It's a pluralistic society. They're worshiping this God on this mountain, and, and it would often be that, that many other gods that were formed or, or thought of by other people, the pagans even permitted their gods to sleep, but our God never sleeps. He is never off duty. How many are thankful that our guardian is never off duty? And what that means this morning is that whether it's 3 a.m. in the morning, the psalmist says that he guards or he watches over eight verses in this psalm alone. And guarding always refers to what the Lord is doing. He is the one that guards his flock or, or watches over the sheep of his flock. It is him that fends off those who come after or would cause harm. Keep in mind that this would be very important for the one that is traveling, maybe making a a long distance travel to the city of Jerusalem, how important it is to know that not only is his guardian alert, but that his guardian is the protector of the one that is making the trip. We we know that as he comes through the mountains or, or if there's enemies or animals or dangers that the psalmist is going to encounter, this is why this psalm would become oftentimes repeated or sung or recited, whether it was out loud or even in their minds, reminding themselves that there was one who was watching over them, one that was protecting them, one that was guarding them, one that was watching them as they traveled, keeping them from all harm and evil. This was not a promise to have a well-cushioned life, but it was a promise to have a well-armed life. What does the psalmist say? What does David say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me, and thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Our shepherd, he watches, he guards, he's always alert, he protects, 
his flock. He also shades. The Hebrew word is sell. It's used ten times in the Psalms. We see it in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's the same type of shading or protection that a, that a mother bird provides for her chicks, for her babies. It's that type of protection, a safety, a security that is given. Isaiah 51, verse 16, I put my mouth or my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. He offers this shade or this protection, this security during our journey, but he also watches over us. The psalm says the Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and as you go. The coming and going, this would not be uncommon for those that lived inside the city of Jerusalem. If they had to go outside the city to work, they would leave and they would have to come back inside the walled cities. But whenever they left, whenever they came, they had the, the confidence and the assurance that there was one who was watching over their coming and their going. And the same is true of us today in our walk with Christ and our relationship with God. He is watching over our coming and going. There's never a moment that he's not aware of our circumstances, not aware of where we're at. He always knows exactly what we need. He watches over us. Uh, Stephen Lennox was actually a professor of mine at Indiana Wesleyan, said this, there is no more secure place than under the watchful eye of Israel's guardian. There's never a more, there's no, there is no more secure place than under the watchful eye of Israel's guardian. Our guardian also is forever faithful, both now and forevermore. Our walk with Christ will include many obstacles, challenges, and even suffering. But we must fix our eyes on Jesus, our helper, and our guardian. Uh, Yvonne, if you want to go ahead and come, she's going to sing a song here just to, uh, in closing in just a moment. But I want you to hear this this morning. I mentioned earlier, when God led Israel out of Egypt, one of his ongoing miracles was that they were guarded by day, by the cloud of God's presence, and by night, a pillar of fire. Who would dare attack? Who would ever, or who could ever ambush them? They, they were guarded, they were hemmed in, they were protected by the presence of God. And yes, we no longer see the cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night today, but we have the assurance that God is still guarding us. The psalmist recognized that as he penned these words, there is no one or nothing else that will sustain us, guard us, protect us, or watch over us but Jesus Christ. Would you?